I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents with travel to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. Stephanie O'Connor is a photographer and creative consultant originally from South Dakota who spent her professional life in Atlanta, New York, Johannesburg, and now Los Angeles. She has worked with brands such as Adidas, Hypnotic, Sunglass Hut, and major artists that include Talib Kweli and several Afrobeat artists on the continent. A free spirit by nature, After earning her degree in computer information systems after starting her career, she soon realized that her creativity was not being fed in this profession. Shortly thereafter, she studied for her MFA in photography at the Academy of Art University. Now residing in Los Angeles, California, Stephanie spends her free time gardening and as a freelance photographer. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, okay. I have to give just a bit of a backstory of how we came into one another's orbit. I think it's been like a decade now. Um, Like OGs of (laughs) the now huge group, No Madness Travel Tribe. And um, I mean, I felt like I like I always fucked with you. I always liked your vibe and we formed a friendship. Like honestly and truly, we'll get into this, but... You're primarily the reason that I moved to Johannesburg. So <laughs> get into uh, get into all of that. So um, my first question really, though, is like, how have, how have things been for you during the pandemic? Man, you know, I have to say, like this time off has been really rejuvenating and it was just what my soul needed <laughs> after like the what the last 15 years of just hustling my my can I curse girl you could curse okay <laughs> I had to make sure I didn't need to keep a pc because I need to say like stress the fuck out <laughs> in the past 15 years no it's been great but the pandemic was really dope um it rejuvenated me it got my energy back it it helped me like reshape my create creative flow and where I'm focusing energy to make money and what like what types of uh, projects I want to work on that are so fulfilling. So um, I'm, you know, kind of grateful for this time. Our world had to slow down, take a deep breath, inhale, exhale. Like I felt like we've been on a meditation for, you know, some months now through the pandemic. Uh, I mean, w- obviously with the, you know, there's the other element with all of the racial stuff that's come to head too. Um, there's like, for me, it's kind of been a balance. I don't stay in the news all the time. So I do have my periods of um, getting, you know, the proper rest and like getting my my mental rejuvenation away from what social media is doing. So I know I spend a lot less time on social media than the average person. Um, so but it's a lot. It's, it's, it's essential, <laughs> right? It's essential though for me to like for my my mental clarity to not be so um, reliant on uh, putting my energy there. I just it's just not. I'm not capable of doing it. <laughs> I have friends that do it great. I'm not capable of doing it. Uh, I think that's one of the areas we've always connected. 
<laughs> I just, you know, I... it's, it's, it's an energy thing. Like I, I, I have so many things going through my mind. Like how, how can I, how can I keep up with that? I can't keep up with all the messaging on that platform. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But um, so, I mean, I noticed that she picked up gardening during the pandemic. So did I. Like, you send me your backyard. You're growing all of these, like, vegetables and herbs and stuff, it seems. It's, has it been therapeutic for you? Oh, definitely. And actually, I've been gardening since I got to California. Um, when I first I moved to Sacramento, I was learning how to grow cannabis and um, spent a couple oh, of years. That's really, right. Right. So I, you know, that really um, elevated my game in taking care of plants in general. So um, yeah, I lucked up in the space that I moved into in uh, LA has, uh, it had an already flourishing garden, like how freaking grateful am I for that? Um, and so, yeah, I've just been trying to take care of it and cultivate and um, have some some food out in my backyard. Girl, I was low key, like when I caught up with you a couple weeks ago, I was like, how did she get a place at Lamar Park? That's like prime. <laughs> that's prime. That's like prime. It's like, but I'm so happy. Like you're right in the perfect place. And I like, I can't wait to come visit you. So, Girl. oh, okay. I kind of want to yeah. take it back. Uh, oh, God, were you gonna say? Oh, I was. I was just saying. I, yes, I feel in alignment. I'm so happy I made it here. And and I I found it very interesting though that I found myself in your like in your neighborhood. And you're now you well you don't live in my neighborhood in Johannesburg. And I'm in, in the city. Well, I used to. I bought. You did. I did. I mean, when I bought the place, I bought that place in Marbonne. See, there so we I go. <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of want to take it back a little bit because your origin story is really compelling. You're mixed race, born in Atlanta, but raised in South Dakota by your single mom. What was what was that like growing up as a little black girl in South Dakota? Um, You know, my mother never really talked to me about race. Like she didn't point out the fact that there was something different about me. So my concept of race was kind of non-existent for many years in my life. And um, down to the first time I met my father, um, I actually have a video, which I'll share with you, uh, that I did oh, this wow. interview with this girl. Um, she was doing a project called the Mulatto Diaries. And I randomly ran into her uh, in New York and she asked me to be on it. And I did it and I told my story of my first time meeting my father and I got a lot of negative backlash on it. Um, people feeling like, you know, uh, essentially in a nutshell, when I met my father, um, I had never seen another a black person. So um, I did have some hesitation and fear because uh, he looked different than, than anything I'd ever seen. Right. And so he wasn't present in my life. So, and, I, and my mother didn't show me photos. So how was I supposed to know as this young girl? Right. And people got very angry at the fact that I said that, and I, I was being honest with that, but um, you know, it was just my, I, what do you do when you're a child? Like you just grow up how you're raised. And if people talk about certain uh, topics with you, then you'll be knowledgeable on them. If they don't, then you're not. And so um, I definitely started um, experiencing racism uh, in my elementary ages. I remember, I, I remember being followed in stores in South Dakota um, kids always wanting to touch my hair and um, kids not wanting me to 
uh, be friends with them or hang out with them. Um, I even remember the boys were repelled by me. <laughs> I remember this one boy, Abe, that I had wow. a crush on. This was like, I don't know, like it couldn't have been, could have, could have been third grade. Maybe it was like third grade or second grade, but you know, just one of those like harmless little, like, Oh, he's so cute. I have a crush. Um, and I got, got up the nerve to call him. And basically he told me the reason why he couldn't ever like be, be known being associated with me was because of the color of my skin. Um, and so that was a, like a, a real hard blow from an early age. <laughs> so, um, but you know, my mother, um, my mother also just, uh, unfortunately wasn't a very present mother, um, to talk about, to talk to me or even usher usher me through the complexities of being mixed race. So um, I had a very, you know, it was interesting. It was interesting growing up as a black girl in a very, very white part of America. So what did you, did I hear this correctly? Your, your father was the first black person you'd ever met. Yes. Wow. And how old were you? I was about, um, Gosh, I want to say like five or six. Wow. Wow. That is like, that could, I'm sure that's like jolting to your sensibilities. Being so it was, young. it was also the way he approached me too, because he thought he was being cute and friendly and he thought I was going to, it was going to click for me. And he pulled up on the side of the road. Right. I was like, literally, oh, I, lived, that's not, that's not I lived in Wyoming. Right. <laughs> so we ran around, we were exactly, we, you know, my mom let me like go down the street, like you know, it was really safe. Like we didn't have to have those kind of fears about our child's being next to us all the time. So, you know, I was venturing down the street a little ways. I would say maybe um, the equivalent of like a block. And <clears throat> I'm at the corner where you turn into um, like the the road that like led to the house. And um, he pulls up in this red car with a black woman in the, and she, I remember her being beautiful and she had on fly earrings. And I, I remember her hair being like, uh, I can't remember if it was braids or if it was in the style, but I just remember looking at her like, wow, she's so pretty. And um, then my dad's like, um, he either asked for my name or my mom's name. I can't re recall right now. I think he might've asked for my name. Do you know where Stephanie is? And obviously in school we're taught, don't talk to strangers. He was a stranger and he looked different than any person I had ever seen before. So I'm like, you know, kind of shook. And I was like, just looking at him. And then he was, he started getting a kick out of it, out of how he was scaring me. Then he holds up a picture of me. Right. And I was a huge fan of, unsolved mysteries <laughs> at that age so <laughs> you know where my mind went I was like oh my god he's been following me he's gonna abduct me so I didn't know it didn't ever click to me that it would be my father because at that point you know I just didn't have any conversation I my mother you know moved away from him when I was very young so I didn't have that association to a, a man like that being in my life so um it didn't click for me none of it clicked for me but my mom is also a really bad communicator that I've learned later in my life. So I, there's so many ways that I feel like she could have, um, uh, she could have offered a, a better way to do things, but you know, um, the most important part is it, you can see it now and you can make changes for your, I can make changes for the future. Yeah, that's true. Introspection. <laughs> I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you came to that conclusion.
conclusion. So um, fast forward a bit. So after graduating high school, you were initially headed to you told me the big city of Sioux Falls, but you quickly realized it wasn't a good fit for your needs and you moved to Atlanta. Was it culture shock for you being in such a black ass environment such as no. Atlanta? And you know, everybody always asks that. And I think that one, I was an avid reader when I was in high school. Um, and two, I just like it, it, it felt right. It felt right for me to be around people that look like me. Although I then had, you know, the flip side of uh, racism in Atlanta, because then everybody started calling me white or said I spoke too white. Or if I like to walk bare feet out in the grass, that was the white girl in me coming out. And definitely is. But that's OK. It's not the white girl, girl. The Africans were the barefoot ones. What you talking about? It's not the truth at all. Black folk like having their shoes off. We don't like our big wide feet being restricted. <laughs> um, no, but it was it was a matter of me living in a place that wasn't dangerous. It had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with my environment. My environment was safe for me to walk outside and not step on needles. Yeah, yeah. My environment was safe for me to go walk all the way down the street barefoot and not have to ever worry about running into anything more than getting cut by a rock, you know? So I, we didn't have mm -hmm. to have those types of uh, things in our mindset when we were growing up that alleviated some of those um, urban child, um, uh, uh, you know, not myths, but the, 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 the things that children don't <laughs> feel are, no yeah. are, are normal and right. Like to me, growing up in the concrete isn't normal and right because I've, I've had mm -hmm. a garden my whole, I've lived in like with gardens my whole life. I've lived um, in places where I walk outside. I, it doesn't matter where, if I'm in New York city, I'm gonna find a place to walk outside barefoot. I trust and believe I used to go to Prospect Park and Central Park with bare feet. So... <laughs> <laughs> Not all the places, but when, when in the grass. <laughs> so that's interesting. So, okay, you graduate, as I mentioned in your bio, you earned a degree in computer information systems. What was, um, what was your first job out of school and how did that experience shape your career path? Ooh, wow. To think about that job. I kept that job all of maybe three months, maybe if I was diligent six months, but the first job I had was basically working at a help desk for a server company that had clients like news stations. So I didn't get what the fuck the job was, to be quite honest. <laughs> and I just know I was there and people would call me and I would walk them through the process of rebooting their server. And that was basically my job. And I was on a graveyard shift and it was, uh, it was just not the lifestyle for me. So that lasted a short amount of time. And in doing that, um, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, fun with the, um, the coworkers I had, but um, I just knew I, I can't just sit in a room behind a computer screen. So that made me start looking into, uh, you know, what was it that I really needed in my my day-to-day -day interactions or how I make money that would like help fulfill me. And so from there, I started working with Jay Davis and Mika Vines um, with Hypnotic. And um, 
changed the course of my life, I guess, by doing so. Yeah, that's, that's such a big jump. So, <laughs> so, okay, I mentioned in the bio, like in the introduction, rather, we know each other from like, the, like literally day one days of No Madness Travel Tribe. And at that time, you were living in Johannesburg and I was in Brazil. And we formed a friendship. Like, how did you decide I'm leaving? I'm leaving and moving to Johannesburg. Okay. Okay. Sorry. My, my, my like train of thought got lost in like the travel to India to South Africa for the first time. So um, that's kind of, okay. So let me take you through it. Like the first time I went, um, I was coming off of a trip for my 30th birthday in Jaipur, India with Avita, who's, who uh, started Nomadness and um, another friend of ours, Melly Mel. And um, we were in Jaipur. I mean, we were in India, not just Jaipur for 11 days. And I felt like I needed the adventure to continue. Um, Melly Mel and I were from Brooklyn. And at least well, that's where we were both living at the time. And um, we are one of our very good friends and, and Melly Mel's best friend, Selena, um, who is a model, was in Cape Town where she spent a lot of um, our winters because uh, as you know, South Africa's um, seasons are opposite of ours. So in the winter time, Selena would go down there and model and stay there for three months and then come back to New York having a wonderful tan and having done all this beautiful work. Um, so she was like, um, you guys need to come and visit, you're in India. And we looked at the price of tickets and they were actually relatively pretty good in price so we were like let's just hop from india to south africa so Melly mel knew um uh, she knew somebody living in johannesburg at the time and so she contacted them also and they were like oh yeah come to johannesburg so our intention was to go to johannesburg for like three days and then go to cape town for like a week and then come home back home to new york Girl, we landed in Johannesburg. First of all, two weeks later, Selena's like, are you guys coming to Cape Town? <laughs> and we're like, okay, yeah, let's get on a plane. We go to Cape Town. We love Cape Town too, but there was just something about Josie. And it was the first time I visited was um, uh, months prior to the World Cup. So, right. So there was already a lot of preparations in place and it was changing. And then there was this wonderful energy about South Africa at that time. I met a lot of dope people and we decided, um, you know, that we were going to go to Cape Town for, I think we might've went for about five days. And then we ended up going back to Johannesburg for another three weeks or so. So finally, when we pulled ourselves away from South Africa, um, uh, we left, we came back to the States and I can't remember the time frame of how soon the world cup was after that, but whatever it is, our friends that we made were like, you guys should come back. And we totally made a plan and we went back for the world cup and being there again during that time. And there was people from all over the world. The energy was amazing. Um, I saw what was about to happen to South Africa. And I saw that it would be a good place to position myself if I was considering moving to Africa. And at that time, I knew I was wanting to move somewhere. I just didn't know where. And I didn't necessarily know that it was gonna be a lifelong move, but it was um, just a need to be in a different space, a different culture, a different country. It was just something I wanted to do for myself at that time. And so, that trip to World Cup really solidified it. And that trip, I met a lot of people working in creative agencies all over the continent. And um, 
I just thought it was going to, you know, be a, a different challenge from what I would have been trying to achieve in New York. Cause everything for me was the same. It was all about fashion and it just, um, going to South Africa gave me the creative inspiration that I was really seeking at that time. So, um, you know, I just knew it. Was, I just had to try it. My, my gut was telling me, my intuition was telling me, girl, you, you better go. Um, and that wasn't without a heavy heart because it was definitely hard to leave the amazing community that I had established in Brooklyn, but I had to fulfill. I can't be one of those people that like allows myself to say in the future, what happened, what would have happened if I would have moved or I wouldn't have moved? Like, what, you know, what would have, what would my life have become? Would I have been making more money in my photography career? Possibly if I would have stayed in the States, but I think that I gave myself invaluable experiences that um, will make me even more money than if I would have just stayed and continued to hustle the way I was. Yeah. And then, I mean, the cost of living too. So you have been making more money, but spending a whole lot more too. I just um, wish so, that so I would have had... I just want to say, I just wish that I would have had a, a, a U.S. Uh, income base at that time, something that would have been providing me um, at least $500 monthly. Like my rent, all my expenses would have been paid on that for like easily in Johannesburg. <laughs> easily. $500 a month? Yeah. Rent and, and everything? Girl, I'm telling you, my place was the equivalent of, um, what was I paying? 3,000 Rand? That was like $250 a month. In my day? Girl, I, t- I was there early, oh, though. Oh, By the time you came, I had been yeah. there for three years. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I had yeah. I got to witness the change of my own. back to that now, girl. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. Girl, it's, it's back to that. Glad oh, I didn't invest. <laughs> uh, I actually, well, I'm glad I sold when I sold. But yeah. Tax rebates, too. So this like is. I mean, it's still a good investment opportunity because of the tax incentive. But I have to say, um, I just, I think you, you were definitely, you and Rob, oh, I don't want to get emotional. Our mutual friend passed away, gay hubby. But you guys were the reason that I, uh, that when I first came to visit South Africa in the first place, but certainly why I moved. Because it was 2014, let me tell you, this is how I fuck with you the log way. Mm. <laughs> I, remember, I actually remember like planning this trip. At first it was going to be Ghana because it was, you know, a mutual acquaintance had, a, had something going on out there. And I quickly pivoted because that Ebola shit was going on, remember? Mm. And so I was like, well, let me go to South Africa instead. And let me tell you, I get there. You were already in Ghana. Left the key to your place, you know, made sure that, that I had folk as soon as I touched down. Like, and I think we spent like Christmas and New Year's. That was, oh, that was my first time, uh, me and Rob, too. <laughs> I, right. That was such a beautiful experience. Yeah. But South Johannesburg specifically, like, there's just something very, like, I don't know. It just like grabs you. It's almost like a vortex or something here. (laughs) I agree. There's an energy there that is, you cannot explain it. You can only experience it. And that was exactly what I felt that first time, which is what brought me back the second time, which is what ultimately 
had me make that transition to moving there for the time that I did. So how soon after you came for the World Cup, did you like pack your shit and move? I think it was about six months. Oh, okay. You didn't waste a lot of time. Girl, I was like, something is calling me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good amount of time to actually prepare. Uh, And that kind of leads me to my next question, because there's a lot of women in the audience who listen and they're thinking about making this move. Can you explain the importance of like preparing yourself before you move to a place and what kind of work did you do to sustain yourself once you got there? Um, Well, I think too, you have to keep in mind, one of the things you have to keep in mind is what is your skill set and what, what are you going there with that you can work if you're not going there with an already uh, paying job or a company that's willing to take you. Um, I knew that with uh, me being a photographer and having taken trips and having made the connections that I made, that I would be able to network my way through it. And um, it was not easy for me to get there and do that. But I also, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't do things properly. I didn't go through getting and obtaining the visa before I went. So it made my, um, <laughs> it made my experience a little bit more adventurous. Um, but, you know, moving to a country like that, if you don't have family, I think um, if I did it again, I would definitely go with money saved. I would definitely want to have a nest egg to do so. I may even look at um, potentially purchasing a property before moving there. Um, so I think what you did was was really smart because it helps you get, um, you know, helps you build an asset in the place that you're trying to be, which can ultimately only help you in the future. So what did you do to sustain yourself? Um, well, I'm a photographer. So I had previously met a bunch of people in creative uh, industries in Johannesburg. So I just networked. Um, I networked and started shooting photography for uh, basically anybody that would pay me. <laughs> you like an original digital nomad, original black digital nomad. <laughs> before, before Travel Noir, before, before all that. Yeah, there were no... I know. I feel like I feel like people who are interested in making this like making this jump now, there's there's so many like resources. There were no such resources when (laughs) we embarked upon this journey. Luckily, like no madness came around um, shortly thereafter, but there were none like there's so many resources available now. Yeah, I would have appreciated some of those resources. And it would have been dope for me to have a job like I have now in South Africa. I would have been balling if I would have been living in South Africa off the salary I have now, though. My company wouldn't have hired me there. But, um, you know, if I would have had something like this, though, to sustain me, like I said, just like 500 or maybe a thousand, a thousand would have been like, right. And then I would have still been making money there, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, I mentioned this, like probably every episode, like geo arbitrage and how it can work to your advantage if you're earning dollars in a, um, like an emerging nation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But you had a a few hustles, girl. You had Airbnbs popping. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I can't sit still, but I definitely had um, a handful of Airbnbs. I was managing at one point. I had um, the event, the weekend social that I had with those other five ladies. Um, that was, uh, I mean, that really wasn't making us any money, but it was getting me better clients. Um, mm. Because then I started working with companies like Sunglass Hut and uh, um, what was it? Heineken had co- contacted me for uh, <clears throat> a campaign. Um, I got to do, um, you know, my first video uh, with Sunglass Hut, which was kind of dope, a dope learning experience. And um, they just insisted that I do it, even though I told them I have no idea about sound. They were like, it's OK, you do it. You got it. You can do it. <laughs> and so I did it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun in Johannesburg, um, at times felt very comfortable being there, but there were times that I felt very uncomfortable being there also. Uh, we will definitely, uh, definitely get into that. One of the things I wanted to uh, mention, like when you come to particularly like emerging nations and especially you coming from a place like New York, LA, Atlanta, and that kind of grind like there's so many doors that open up for you that may have been more difficult to walk through um in the united states i'm telling you the thing that impressed me um i don't know impresses might not even be the word but i just distinctly remember coming here during high season in december right mm-hmm. and Seeing businesses like shut down saying we on holiday, we be back in two weeks. I'm like, are you crazy? Like it was it was just so offensive to my capitalist sensibility. But once you actually thought about it, then you were like, this is beautiful. <laughs> like literally the country will like, it's okay. It's okay to go rest. It's okay to take some vacation. It's okay. To I might sp- take a vacation, but my business gonna be open. Right. Well, you know what I'm saying? If you got some people. I know euros and dollars. I was like, what? But but for me, what it did was I was like, oh, I could could go here and get it popping, no problem. Yeah. That's that's what it showed me. Uh, But it is, there is a beauty in that and rest. (laughs) There is. It's it's, for me, it's necessary. And. I really appreciated how they um, just in general, I think more countries in the United States uh, appreciate and give their employees better quality of life. Just, you know, we don't have to work all the time. Like we don't have to be on and open all the time. Like that's why I make investments now because I can make money in my sleep and I don't have to be hustling and, and being open for everybody all the time or being on for everybody. Like I am exhausted as a creative professional who provides a service. Like I'm exhausted giving all my energy out to, you know, things that didn't necessarily always um, benefit me besides getting money. You know, I think I've just gone past that point in my life. It's not just about money. It's about overall fulfillment. And at this point now, I feel like with my experience, I should be getting paid well, but I shouldn't have to be working that hard. Oh, I feel you. You know, I slept for, um, well, about 18 months, well, part of it was depression, but not the whole time now, but from like the pandemic, when the pandemic started, uh, I was going hard in the beginning a little bit, uh, but then like from August to like February, I just slept. 
And at first I felt guilty. I was like, I'm a tired black woman. I deserve this breath. You sure do, That's girl. Not too guilty about this. In fact, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to to be able to just like really rest and not have to worry about how your bills gonna be paid. So yeah, but I feel like it's like it was like a slingshot. <laughs> like yeah. now I'm now I'm now I'm rest and recuperated. So uh, okay. I was going to ask this question later, but um, you kind of did just bring it up. Uh, and we talked about this offline about, you know, Johannesburg is good until it's not. So <laughs> um, knowing when the party is over is very important. How did you know when it was time to leave? I, you know, to be honest, I feel like I knew earlier than I allowed myself to, to realize and I started having thoughts about um, sustainability there. And though I would get, I would get occasional good paying jobs, it wasn't consistent enough for me to feel like I could start to save, that I could start to um, be able to th- think of things like acquiring a property. Um, and I started feeling like my resources are in America and I need to go there. And I know, I know with the kind of person I am, I can... I can get the income I want and then I can take that income back and bring it back to Africa and purchase properties. So um, I started feeling like, you know, I was weighing though, but I did feel at a time that if I was going to leave that I almost felt like I was uh, giving up on something or I was um, uh, abandoning a goal before I reached it. And I was having, you know, this kind of inner battle with myself about, you know, are you really considering what's best for you or is it your ego talking? Is your ego the one that wants you to stay or, you know, your pride? Are you afraid of people, you know, feeling like you didn't uh, make it or you didn't, you know, and then I started, I had to wash all of that out because it really wasn't about any perception of me. Um, It was really just about what makes you feel good. And I think the eye opener for me was when I did, um, I hadn't been back to the States, I think in uh, two or three years at this point. And I came back in 2014 for the summertime. This was like, I think August in New York. So, you know, one of the best times to be in New York. And I remember one day specifically, I was walking by a park um, close to the, to an old neighborhood I worked, uh, I used to live at. And out of nowhere, I just had these tears that started falling from my eyes. And I, at that moment, realized, even with all the chaos in New York that was going on around me, that I felt safe. I felt secure. I know if I called out that those men in New York were going to stop and be like, yo, Ma, are you good? Mm-hmm. I knew I knew that, like, but I don't know that in South Africa. I didn't know if I was screaming out if people would all join in or if people were going to look out for me. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know as a foreigner. Um, and though I had some amazing friends and amazing people who I definitely, you know, find very trustworthy people and knew I knew that they had my best interest at heart. Like, I definitely know I know some great people there. It just wasn't the same as feeling like your community protects you. And yeah. Right. Um, and that's what I have in, you know, that's what I, that's what I have in the States. And so 
Uh, I also have um, highly entrepreneurial driven community in the States. And, you know, that is who I want to be around. Like, I want us, you know, we're, we have missions. We ha- I, feel, I feel like people in my community have, um, you know, huge purposes on, on this earth. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad that I can be with them, uh, aligning with them and uh, building for the legacies that we're building currently. Yeah, um, I do have a question about community because it is so important. It's so important having a community, period. But as an expat, um, and, you know, I keep mentioning this, it's only been a few weeks, but like Rob was my community here. Um, And it's so crazy. Like, I think him passing, we had this conversation offline, um, but him passing made me realize, like, I mean, this is not a place that you can be complacent. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely. able to be a bit complacent because he was here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you know, as a single woman um, being here, um, like femicide is big in this country. I don't I don't feel safe anymore, to be honest. I understand. It's, it's, and, you know, there's too many niggas lurking and watching, and I'm just like, what are your intentions? I low-key got a stalker. And yeah. The, the, I don't know. It's just like, it, the, the men are, are too aggressive for my taste, to be honest. It is It is that. I definitely <laughs> understand what you're saying. And, you know, I had some incidents where, you know, I used to take the taxis um, to and girl, from. Girl, you was in the taxi ranks or a taxi? Oh, girl, I was at the ranks. I was standing oh. in lines to get on them buses. And, like, I'll tell you, you know, I felt most comfortable most times. Um, women in, in, in those environments, you know, I can't say always were friendly, but for the most part, I, you know, they looked at me like a, a younger person that they needed to look out for. Um, but... I still, you know, I had three men corner me trying, attempting to rob everything. And it was, it was going to, they were going to literally take everything that would have sustained me in South Africa. So I came back with them, back at them with rage and thank God my rage scared them enough for them to back away and they didn't take anything from me. Um, You know, I had a guy come up to me and acting like he's pointing a gun at me, um, trying to trying to make me give him my phone when I was walking from my place to another location to for a meeting girl. But I didn't have any money like I didn't have the luxury of um, an Uber wasn't there when I first oh, moved yeah, there. Uber was not. Uber wasn't there until maybe the last year of me living there. And prior to that, like I had to get around and like, the, you know, me being a foreigner too, just trying to take a regular taxi, they were always gouging me on the price. And then, you know, that was scary because you, you don't want to get in a car and be in an argument with a taxi and not know where the fuck you are. Right. And him decide that he's mad at you because you want, only want to give him 20 rand and he's asking you for 200. So, <laughs> you know, I like you had to, uh, for me, the mafia here, for they, real. they own, they own the government. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> they shut all this shit down when they feel yeah. like, <laughs> and that was Bro, always was scary. Man, you had that. See, I didn't. I haven't had that experience like that South Africa. Because uh, I mean, I was always older when I moved here. So I was a. Uh, you came here when you were younger. I was uh, not that young. I was thirty. But well, I mean, I, <laughs> I was living a young life because I was, you know, 
I was starting a new career at that point. I was just really getting into my photography career. And, um, you know, I, I think I was young at heart at that, at that point, but I, I was experienced. I was 30 years old, you know, I had done quite a bit of things at that point. Yeah. You, <laughs> you was a G girl. You was here these taxi rings. Girl, it was survival. I was and Rob remind me of this story like every Christmas. I remember I was heated Christmas. I think it was like ballet, but nothing open. I think we went to McDonald's or something. And we was walking back. I was like, oh my God. I was freaking. Wait, can we go back to the McDonald's though? Because those curry veggie patties at that McDonald's, I will I still crave that sandwich. <laughs> I still crave that sandwich. The curry <laughs> veggie patty at the McDonald's downtown Johannesburg. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I, I got a different level of respect for you now. I'm realizing uh, you put in work here, girl. You was not gay. I was in the <laughs> streets, girl. Like when I, That's why I went, you know, people were like, oh, I, I went to Johannesburg. I'm like, okay. I lived in Johannesburg, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, you lived in the CBD. That's like, that's a whole other, it's so crazy over there. I mean, I don't even want to go over there and take pictures. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, literally, I just got out. Just It was such a cute neighborhood, too. The idea, the developers, it was, you know, that's a whole other story for offline. But It was, uh, yeah, and it was really dope for a minute when the market was, like, booming and I, you know, there were Europeans there, Americans there all the time in that area. It was, like, you know, I think when they started putting things like the clubs there is when it started changing the the attitude of that area because before the clubs, it was just markets, it was just stores, it was just some restaurants, and it was a chilled vibe. You start adding the club in there and, you know, now people want to come hang out all night and drink and be rowdy in the streets. Um, the restaurant downstairs, Pata Pata. Um, a staple. You know, they ain't never going to close. He's they never going to close. Service, so. Oh, my God. I, it's, I think it's pretty customary. South African customer service, to be honest. <laughs> 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 Unless you're in Hyde Park, but... Um, I, you know, I, it was right downstairs from my window, literally. So I did spend a lot of time in there and I appreciated when they used to do the live music. I don't know if they still do that, but I got to see the soil there for the first time. And to this day, right, I pulled out my camera. I had, this is before I really did any video. I was just like messing with my camera and got two videos of two songs from the soil that to this day on YouTube has like hundreds of thousands of likes and I was like this crappy video that I did but I will never take that down because it has given me some likes on YouTube <laughs> oh my god it was such a vibe maybe it'll come back it had a nice almost decade run though. it's girl it's Jeffy's town now ain't no distinction Ooh. <laughs> it ain't no distinction yeah, that hurts my heart <laughs> that hurts um. my heart <laughs> so um would you live overseas again? And so where would you go? Yes. Um, not full time. I think I've now come to the realization that I want to own property in California. I, I think for me personally, LA is probably the right market for that. I do like uh, the quality of living in California. 
but I would love to have, um, actually I will have a home in Ghana. Um, but it's not for me to, I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not clear on if I ever want to actually live overseas, but what I do know I want is a lifestyle that I have options of, uh, not having to be in one place for more than three months if I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you on that. Um, what did you what did you learn about yourself as a result of um of moving overseas? Because I feel like you you're introduced to yourself in a way that you might not have otherwise been familiar. And you you really have to be cut a certain way to embark upon this journey in the first place. Much less um as a woman much less as a single woman who's a solo traveler that's okay um and then also like as an entrepreneur (laughs) you came balls out (laughs) what what did you learn about yourself throughout that that experience um there was so many lessons learned honestly um it taught me how one of the biggest things that I think I appreciate is it taught me how to learn how to live more comfortably with less. Mm. And it's one of the lessons that really taught me in um, eliminating uh, chaos in my life. Um, Maybe not with relationships, but with things. Um, It definitely taught me a patience that I was in dire need of. I needed patience. And, um, how to also, um, you know, it's okay to change your mind too on a decision you've made. Because I, I definitely thought making the decision to move to Johannesburg was, you know, it was such a huge move that it had to be final. I think I told myself that for um, the first few years I was there. Um, but I learned it was okay. It was okay to make that decision to come back. And it was okay to... Um, decided that that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted anymore because also how could I have made that decision without experiencing it, really experiencing it? Because any vacation you go on, you're going to witness the beautiful things. You're going to have, you you may have some mishaps, but for overall, it's going to be beautiful, but you don't really know a place until you've really lived there. Yeah. And I would have never, I would have always had this fantasy about Johannesburg if I had never actually lived there. Um, I would like to own property in, in South Africa. I would like for it to be one of the places that I visit. I definitely think there is something beautiful. There's a beautiful energy there. I um, There's, you know, just a feeling that you get just being on the physical ground there uh, is really beautiful. And not to mention, I'm naming my uh, CBD line inspired after... Um, Zulu traditional healers and um, we're, we're still in product development so I don't want to say too much but um, the name is definitely inspired from my time in South Africa so um, knowing that I'm creating something that uh, is going to be healing um, shows that I still have a deep respect for South Africa and I will always have a love for it but you know I my answer to your original question, I'm sorry I went on a little bit of a tangent, is I don't know. I'm open. I'm I'm open to whatever feels right in the future. That's a good answer. It's a good way to live too. What's the uh, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? Ooh, um, that you'll be okay. And that 
I'll get over it. And though I might get tired of people telling me how strong I am, I am strong as fuck, girl. So I'll get through it. definitely are. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it stays that way. (laughs) I feel like like the older I get, the more soft I'm becoming. So we'll see how... You don't look like the triple OG that you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So unassuming. (laughs) Got the battle wounds. You're so low key. Like people don't realize like, uh, like you have been the creative genius of behind huge brands and huge influencers, but you just do the work and, and keep it pushing. You don't look for it to shine, but you are very much a creative genius. <laughs> you know, I'm not looking for the shine. I'm looking for the platform platform to be able to touch many. And I get that through my people, through my people and um, through helping other people who I know have pure hearts do, do their best. And um, even though some of them are a little shady, well, let's not Girl. say some. One in specific is a little shady. Um, the same one. Oh, we you know, know we are. All, you, know, you know we know all the team. All the team, girl. Don't even don't even get me started. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. We're not gonna be messy on here. But um, you know, at the same time, knowing like what I can look at from even if it's other people executing my ideas, knowing that my ideas were successful. Um for me is like rewarding that's good that's one of the things I actually had to hit Evita up behind the scenes because um I appreciate so much what she even though I didn't like stay active I like people what she's been doing um honestly she the realest bitch out of all of them (laughs) and I might she's my girl (laughs) You know what? And like just just looking over like from the past decade, all the movements and stuff that has spawned out of this. Um, her heart is pure. Her intentions have remained solid. Uh, yeah, I, I really I really fuck with that part of um, of who she is. But Yvita anyway, it's always been one of my most solid friends. I will be honest. Like she is, she's great and authentic you know what I'm saying I think a lot of that has to do with um I mean it is who she is as a person but I think just traveling really does that I think traveling adds a a level of authenticity to people when they um get to learn to be their truest self and she's she's been that for a long time and um she's she's younger than me I can't remember by how much but you know she's definitely one of my wisdom guides Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's dope. So what what advice do you have for Black women that are interested in embarking upon this Black broads abroad expat journey? First of all, do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it for as long as you feel it's right for you to do and plan for it. And um, just be authentic to yourself. Like, don't allow other people's fears of your location be something that um, 
inhibits your experience. I, I see that often people were always like, why would you, why do you want to go to India for your birthday? You know, oh. why, why do you want to live downtown Johannesburg? It's so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but man, that I don't, think I would have had the same experience if I would have been living in Rosebank. It just, for me, and I needed that at the time that I had it. If I went back to Johannesburg now, just like you, I'd be going back a little older. Girl, I'm going to be right up a metal's arch with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm good on that other excitement. Um, but you know, I'm just, when I travel, I like to feel really connected to the culture. And I think by living downtown, um, I, I felt that sense of connection there. And that was for me, it's, you know, and everybody travels differently too. So like, I, I can't tell somebody how to do it or the right steps to take, but I can tell, you know, I, all I can tell you is just be prepared and that you most definitely should follow your intuition because even if you decide is something different for you later. Um, coming back and now having known that I went through that period, I lived there. I'm so proud of myself for getting myself through it, for making the connections that I did, for being able to work on the projects I was able to work on, for making the friendships that I made, for building the family that I still have now in Johannesburg and in Ghana and a few in Nigeria. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And you'll never, you'll never walk away from the experience, even through the scary parts. Cause we didn't even touch on that one scary part, but maybe you need to bring me back for another episode. I didn't, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> well, we talked about it offline. I didn't know if that was something you wanted to be made public. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I need to de uh, detail all of that right now, but yeah. um, I appreciate that. Yeah. But even, even in that experience though, um, like, I'm so grateful that I was, I had the strength, I had the courage to go move there and to do the best that I could. And I'm happy with the way things turned out. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that, um, you know, I got to meet you a decade ago and, you know, we picked right back up where we left off. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, it's like I spoke to you, uh, I don't know. It's been years, but it's like, we just, like I spoke to you like a few days ago. <laughs> I know exactly. It's, you know, because, because it was real, it was authentic. You know what right. I'm saying? I think yeah. any authentic, like any authentic relationship, I think will tend to have that kind of pick up and go. I have, most of my friends are like that. We might not speak for weeks or months, but when we do, it's just like, Oh, Hey girl, what's going on now? <laughs> exactly. So what's, what's next for you? Where can people um, keep up with your journey on social media? <laughs> that part. <laughs> See, the, most normal people just go right to, yeah, you can find me at my, my IG handle. Um, <laughs> I am not active on social media. Um, I go back and forth on having intentions and being better, but um, you can find me on IG, Connor Varen. I... Um, <laughs> I don't do TikTok. I don't have the I don't have the brain capacity to even figure that one out. Um I go on Facebook to answer messages, but I don't post. <laughs> so you can call me, you can WhatsApp me. Um you can go to my website. Number out there. I was about to say 
I would never do that, but you can definitely probably find it on like my website or something. So I don't make myself uh, hard to find. Yeah, I'll um, put all of your details um, in the listen notes. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I'm, you know, I right now I'm actually, I have a nine to five, which is a new territory for me, or at least it has, it hasn't been uh, common for me for about 15 years. And um, I spend a lot of time on my computer now and I'm producing, which is dope. Um, I'm still shooting here and there, um, but I'm really excited about this wellness line that I have coming out, so. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the whole part that we skipped in the interview, but like when you left Johannesburg, that's what the fuck you were doing. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> I, was, I was growing cannabis, friend. <laughs> you live so many lives. Oh my goodness. Shout out to our Patreon members for your support. If you too are interested in joining the Black Broads Abroad movement, you can follow us on social media, and that's B L A C K B R O A D S. That's on Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like to become a supporter on Patreon, you can do so on patreon.com backslash Black Broads Abroad. This episode of Black Broads Abroad is brought to you by Amaka, a new digital platform that spotlights incredible stories about women from Africa and the diaspora. Amaka was born out of the necessity to diversify our media landscape, and they'll be doing exactly that as part of their virtual summit happening next month called Our World Festival, which is a three-day interactive virtual conference celebrating Pan-African womanhood running from May 2nd to the 4th. The free conference will feature nine different events and over 20 speakers with immersive sessions exploring economic empowerment, wellness, cooking, travel, mental and sexual health, and much, much more. Get your tickets now at amaka.studio forward slash experiential. That's A-M-A-K-A dot studio forward slash experiential.